Welcome to the show. What does the future look like for seniors? Today, we're going to be talking with Julia Wolf, who is with St. Paul Ramsey County Public Health. We'll be discussing all that and more today on this episode of The Change Agents. Welcome to Change Agents, brought to you by Lisa Dunn with Remax Results. Lisa is a licensed real estate agent and senior real estate specialist in the state of Minnesota. Lisa works with older adults to help them upsize and downsize. And now, here's Lisa Dunn. Welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And Marshall, thank you so much again for hosting and producing the podcast for us. Hey, my pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see you via Zoom. See you via Zoom. That's right. <laughs> Julia, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Be happy to. So I'm a planner, which means that I am convening and connecting people and bringing together community members and service providers to see if there are new and creative ways to serve our communities and to serve our communities in improved ways. Whether it's home-based community services or small businesses or senior housing, as you're doing this work to engage people, are you watching people learn to do or behave or provide services differently? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, public health and social services, we didn't talk 20 years ago about community engagement. That just wasn't part of our lexicon. <clears throat> In my work, I am seeing that Definitely. One of the things that I have been part of are healthy aging mini conferences. And those were developed with AARP and with Lynn Bloomston and, and lots of other folks in the community. And each time I started with community, I went to community groups and said, we have this idea for a mini conference with breakout sessions. It's not a traditional health fair, which is flyers. It's not a tabling event. Are you interested? Okay, that's great. I'm not going to assume they're interested. Yes, they're interested. Let's talk about what topics you want to hear about. Let's talk about what time of the day you want to hear about. And so we've done three of these, one in Rondo and one in Roseville area, and then one specifically geared towards Native American elders. And each one has been different based on those things. I started, the Native American one, I started with a group of elders at the Elders Lodge. I was connected to them through one of my professional contacts who was the service coordinator there. One of the things that it's easy to forget is that all of this is relationship-based. I couldn't do my work without relationship. So she invited me to speak to the elders, and I started the way I do, which is, are you interested? And that one was designed completely differently. And I went to that group first. I've gone to community groups first before I brought the team together for a reason. Because they told me what topics they would like. And then I assembled this team, Eastside Elders and uh, AARP and Metropolitan Area Agency on Aging and others. And I said, here's what they want to hear about. That one of the service providers came back and said, well, we should do this. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what the people wanted and we're gonna give them what they want. So 
after we did a debriefing breakfast after the event, I had a long-time service provider in the community say to me, I learned to do with, not for. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope. It's really hard. And I, I think all of us have been faced with this over this last year. It's really difficult to think about doing things differently. You know, we all try to do best practices and we all try to be efficient and have these systems in place. And um, But sometimes maybe we lose our way in, in trying to provide things efficiently, like you said, and maybe not do it in a way that would be the most helpful. Yes, and that the Native American one is a great example because that team was, as far as I'm concerned, the most successful. There were three Native American women on it, three women of color and three white women. And it was a completely different experience, the planning process, largely because of one of the Native American women who came in, women, yeah, who came in and said, how is everybody? Let, let's do this a little differently and let's check in. And I've never had a business meeting turn into safe space, turn into a meeting where not twice, probably three times, someone came into the meeting a little late and said, oh, thank God I'm here. I couldn't wait to get here. And that, so that process was much different. It took us much longer than the other two. It took us a couple months longer than the other two because we were doing it the right way. Yeah. Serving the yeah. right way definitely takes more time and effort. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of planning or like looking forward, what, what, what are some of the new and fun, exciting things you're working on? The new and exciting thing is we're working towards an age-friendly Ramsey County. And the age-friendly communities process is a laid out process. It's a program through AERP based on the World Health Organization's domains of livability. And so we're bringing together a core team and we're looking, educating ourselves about the age-friendly process. And then we will be looking, the team will decide on which domains of those eight domains that they want to focus on. And then we will spread out into the community and gather input and hopefully make some changes. The first year is a current state of the county. So here's where we are, statistics, we'll be doing some listening sessions, we'll be doing some surveys, we create a plan of action, and then the next four plus years are putting that action plan into place. So I don't know what those actions will be, because that input's going to come from community, but I'm really excited about that. Some of the previous communities that have done things like that have said, we want the city council to restripe the sidewalks. We want more time when people cross the street. We want more pedestrian respites in the middle of streets. That's just, you know, street stuff. But there are lots of really concrete things that have come out of this process. And so I'm excited to see what will happen with that. There's so much there to unpack. So you said that you wanted to work, that what you're working on is age friendly communities. So for people not in the public health space or that aren't plugged into aging services, can you define what that what age-friendly communities means? Well, so there's a couple things. One is there is a specific definition. If AARP has a specific definition about age-friendly, they're livable communities. When you make a community 
age-friendly. When you make a sidewalk safer for someone with a walker, you're making a sidewalk safer for someone with a stroller. So the domains are not, being a livable community is not a whole lot different than being a livable community for everyone. There are some specific things. Do we have cutouts? Some of it is ADA compliance. Some of it is building new ways for elders to connect. And some of those ways are going to be different than ways that younger people connect. I'm thinking about what you said, Julia, about accessibility and how everybody really benefits from that. I have seen new construction buildings go up and I've always thought, gosh, you know, if developers would just build buildings with a little wider doorways and zero stair entries, it doesn't necessarily cost any more to build it accessible at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but it costs a lot more to retrofit. Sure. Absolutely. If all of us built things to be accessible from the beginning, we would save ourselves a lot of headaches to have to go back and redo it again to make it right in the second place, right? Yeah. And also, uh, there's a commercial element to it. Um, I was talking to a person who owns a, a series of Marriott franchises, and they've made almost half of their rooms uh, ADA compliant or, or handicap accessible because he said all the business people that travel all the time, they constantly say, I want a handicapped accessible room or, or uh, multiple abled accessible room because it's bigger. They they got nicer desks. The uh, the showers are nicer. The everything's nicer. They're perfectly abled to uh, handle any room, and they actually request that. And they're starting to see. Oh, wait a second. This isn't just like, oh my gosh, we got to take a couple of our rooms and we got to make them uh, accessible to everyone, and that's a pain. Now they're thinking. Why don't we make all of our rooms absolutely accessible to everyone? And some of the positives of the accessible rooms transfer to the people who are wouldn't normally be asking for that in particular. And it's it's no longer a, oh my gosh, we're totally booked. All we have left are the uh, accessible rooms. Are you okay with that? Uh, that, that, that? Just turn that whole attitude around the opposite way and it's the same thing like you were saying about curb cuts and and doorways i mean that works for everybody and if you turn that upside down if you did it all the time the economics would follow like we always build bathtubs like this we always do curb cuts like this we always do thresholds like this so they would be the cheaper ones it would be more expensive to go the other way that was less accessible because it was so rarely used. Um, It would turn the whole thing upside down. Given the kinds of collaboration that you're doing with all of these home-based community services and nonprofits and for-profits, small businesses and senior housing buildings, what do you think the biggest challenge is for number one, older adults in our community? And number two, for those offering services to them in the next three to five years? Well, that's, that's a lot to unpack. So the biggest challenges continue to be transportation. 
And we're really fortunate in Minnesota that we have metro mobility, but that's not complete. First of all, you have to be designated disabled. So if you're not really able to get around, but you're not designated disabled, you have way fewer options. The rideshare programs are beginning to have programs geared towards older adults, but we're not there yet. And I had a friend of mine who is looking at retiring, and she said, there is a bus stop one mile east of me and one mile west of me. I don't know how you solve that problem, right? You can't have a bus stop every street, but that's an issue. Transportation is an issue that we haven't found very many creative solutions for, and I'm sure if we put our transportation folks in a room and said, come up with some more ideas, they could come up with some amazing ideas. So transportation is a big one. The other thing is housing, and I say that specifically as affordable housing. We are having more and more senior housing, and that's fabulous. That's going to set the standard. But we have a lot of folks who choose to age in community. I don't use the term age in place because we don't just age by ourselves in our house. Right? We age within a community, and that community makes it possible for us to age in our homes or not. Well, a lot of people are aging at home because they don't want to move. Who would want to, right? You've lived in a house for 30 years. I, I don't like moving, and I haven't lived here very long. But also, they can't afford to move. It's expensive. At the same time, property taxes, even if your home is paid off, property taxes, as they go up, then turn into a problem as well. So what we need is a lot of affordable housing. And, and I hear things, too, about I don't have anybody to shovel my walk. Well, part of the issue with that is it, chore services, it's not a high-profit uh, industry. If we could find a way to do that, that would be great, too. In terms of service providers, I think it has to do with that community engagement piece. I think it has to do with listening more and to do that, we have to understand that when we're talking about older adults, we're not necessarily talking about the adults like my grandparents. We're talking about people who have different expectations of the world and of their lives, and they have higher expectations. And it used to be when you got old, you just got shoveled into a nursing home, and then you died there. And that's not the case anymore. You don't get shoveled into a nursing home. And some people, when they go into a nursing home, they come back out. Not very often, but it does happen. Or we put folks in rehab facilities instead of a nursing home so that they can rehab and then they can come home. So it, the expectations are very different. And I don't think we've reached the point yet where we are including enough of the people that we are being in service to in the planning. So the mantra, Julia, I'm thinking about what you said about one of the folks that was on your core team to begin with, one of the things they learned from the planning, learning to do with, not for, that I, I think I'm going to adopt that as my mantra for 2021. <laughs> it, it is my, I mean, that's what public health is about. That's what I am about based on my training as an anthropologist. 
And it's my passion. We need to stop doing two or four. I feel insulted when someone tries to tell me what services I need. Well, that's, yes, we used to assume that older people weren't capable of making decisions or they didn't know what was best for them. We need to step back from that and say, that older person is me. They're no different than I am. I I need to find out what they would like and how they want to be talked to. Because I don't want to be talked down to. And we talk down to older people all the time. I have a heard a story once about a woman who was temporarily in a wheelchair, although that doesn't matter whether it was temporary or not. And she went into a store and the staff walked by her several times, never said anything to her. As if somehow because she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't hear or she couldn't speak or she wasn't capable of having a conversation. Stuff happens all the time. Ageism is one of the most accepted prejudices in our society. Mm -hmm. What are you hopeful for? Wow. I am hopeful for a community where only those very few older adults who choose not to interact don't interact with people. That there are abundant and joyful ways for older adults to not be isolated in our communities. And I think from that comes a lot of other things. If older adults are out in our communities and more civically engaged and more socially engaged, they're not going to tolerate not having affordable housing. They're going to be coming out and talking to their elected officials and being out in the community and saying, wait, wait a minute, well, we need to do something differently here. Personally, my hope is, as a single aging, that I will be able to find a community that I think a lot of people are looking for, which is a community where the concept of the villages, you're familiar with that concept, right, Lisa? But but you need to talk about it, Julia, because not everyone is. Well, actually, I think you ought to talk about that because you're more familiar with that than me. You know, the best example that I can think of is if you're familiar with the co-housing project that's located in St. Louis Park called Monterey. And the idea is that everybody does live in community. Um, They interact with the community in the way that they see fit but they are in some ways accountable to each other, to look out for each other. Um, It is not age segregated. There are children that live there. There's married couples with children that live there. Um, The way that you define family is up to you. Um, Everybody has their own private space, their own apartment or townhome their own place that they have, but everybody also has a job in the community. There may be a gardener, there may be a handyman, there may be someone specifically responsible for get-togethers or social engagement, you know. Um, But I think that what Monterey has been able to create, in my mind, a lot of ways looks like a 55-plus senior housing townhome community where people can can engage with whatever level that they're comfortable with but they know that if they need something they've their neighbor is just right next door 
So they're not calling a service provider when they need help with something. They're calling their neighbor. That, to me, is a community I would want to belong to, where the person helping me isn't wearing scrubs or a nursing assistant uniform, but it's my neighbor, um, somebody that I've celebrated a holiday with or had a meal with. Um, That, to me, sounds like a nice way to live. (laughs) I love that because I hear from older folks that they don't want to ask for help. Older folks don't use food benefits to the degree that they can because they don't want to depend on other people. Well, if you already have a relationship with someone, then it's not as hard to ask for help. Right. I also want to go back when you were talking about families. One of the examples that I see of ageism is all the flyers that communities put out, that neighborhoods put out, say family. And what do we think of as a family? Male and female parents and two kids mostly male and female kids. Nowhere in there is the place is accessible for folks who aren't particularly able, or we don't include older adults in the definition of family. And we're so used to it, we don't even notice that we're not including them. In my world, older adults are part of how I define family. Everybody defines what a family unit is differently. Could you teach that to everyone in our culture, please? (laughs) Because what a what a feeling of abandonment or, or really being on the outside if you had a family and you were not kind of fitting the definition of that family or in that family. Like, wow, I mean, to lose your family as you get older just because now you're fitting a definition of a different type of person. I'm not in that definition. Uh, could, I mean, just be really traumatic and isolating, I, I would imagine. Yes. And one of the issues in, when we don't include a broader definition of family is when you're looking at communities that are Hmong or Karen or other Southeast Asian communities or African-American communities, they don't have many times the same definition we do of family. They often have elders living with them. But I think it also contributes to folks being able to just ignore that they have an older adult, whether they're living with them or not. The thing that I see that makes me the most sad is, of course, that the disparities that we see in our communities in general are amplified by the disparities we see with older adults. And that's frustrating. Yeah, I'm reminded of that when you're talking about accessibility and issues like that and and how we define things. Uh, what was it? Was it W. E. B. Du Bois who said that racism or discrimination is more of a history of little meannesses? It's not one big act of discrimination, and it's not one big act of inclusion that fixes it. But it's just little things like walking up to a, a restaurant and not being able to get in easily, um, going to a hotel and and you know, not being able to take a bath because of how they have things or finding out that you don't absolutely fit the definition of what this organization defines as family. Yes, I know someone used the term death by a thousand cuts, but there are big systemic 
problems. There are big cuts right? out there too. There, there are. <laughs> yes, okay. This curb's not accessible, and then there is. I don't rent to people over the age of 50, or um, redlining still happens. No, you're, we're going to charge you more money for your mortgage than someone who's younger or someone who's white. Or So, yes, and. Well, one thing that I am so encouraged by is the, the governor, um, the, and, and this has been true of a while, so I don't think it has anything to do with political affiliation, but we have a council on aging issues that that specifically works for our governor. And we've got people in your position, Julia, who are looking forward and planning. And um, I know one of um, somebody that I consider to be a friend of mine, Dr. Rajan Moon has done public health um, planning as well and as a huge advocate for seniors. So when I, when I think about, we, yes, we definitely have challenges, but my goodness, looking at people like my friend Julia, who are in these positions of planning and looking forward, I, it gives me great hope. Oh, I'm glad. That makes my day. If somebody is wanting to get involved, if they say, I see things in my community, I live in St. Paul Ramsey County, and maybe you have resources for folks outside that city and county. If they want to get involved, if they want to help with planning, if they want to volunteer, if they want to roll up their sleeves, or even if they just need to have a place to have a voice, what, do, what are their next steps? There are fortunately very many of them. So there are 17 district councils in the city of St. Paul, and those are great places to bring local concerns to. The age-friendly Ramsey County process is definitely looking for folks to be part of that process in lots of different ways. One of the things I would suggest is making friends with your neighbors if you're not already, because none of us can do this by ourselves. And it's so empowering. Can you make friends with the older person down the street? Not just if you're a younger person, but if you're an older person. And then there's two older people advocating for maybe the same thing. And we know that our system doesn't respond to, in general, one person. So one of the things that is really exciting to me, the Governor's Council for Age-Friendly Minnesota, my coworker Jocelyn Anchetta served on that committee. Their report is now available on the governor's website. They have a webpage. And one of the most exciting things about that report is that they are recommending that we develop a state office for aging. That I think will open up so many possibilities and it will bring aging more into the conversation. So people are always welcome to contact me. How do they do that? I am reachable by my work phone at 651-443-0984. And my email address is julia.wolfe at ramseycounty.us. Julia has been an amazing resource uh, over the last eight, nine months, um, staying in touch with people and giving people updates on what's happening within the county. Um, and if you are not on Julia's email list, I encourage you to be because she is an incredible resource um, and it helps you just stay connected and makes you aware of things that are happening that you may otherwise may not be. 
Julia, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This was fun. This has been Change Agents, brought to you by Lisa Dunn with Remax Results. Lisa is a senior real estate specialist. You can find her online at thechangeagent.net. This podcast was produced by Minnesota Podcasting and recorded in their St. Paul studios, and they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual participants and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Remax Results or Minnesota Podcasting.